0: Something that often happens with guests on this show is a pre-conversation before we start recording and Dr. Ibi and I really started to get into some deep, interesting things. And I said, can we pause (laughs) and have this conversation on the show because it is so good. So we're going to just jump right into where we left off in our offline or private conversation And that was centering around a few things. I'd love to start with your background, Ibi, because you were telling me about your parents and what that was like to grow up. And I would love to share that with the listener. So could you start back at the beginning with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I am a first-generation African-Canadian. My background is my parents are from Nigeria. i I was born in Canada, but I moved back to Nigeria when I was two and then moved back to Canada when I was 10. And so moved to this very small town. My family was probably for a lot of people in the town, their first interaction with a non-TV Black family, you know, like real flesh. Oh my goodness, they really do exist <laughs> interaction. That was an interesting childhood For me, it was difficult. It was mixed because I learned a lot. There are a lot of interests that I have as an adult that I think I was talking to have this idea how we get put into different boxes, you know, like this group of people are good at this and this group of people are good at this and certain people play piano. So, I mean, I'm a classically trained pianist. So, I played piano, Royal Conservatory Piano. I think for a lot of people, they're just shocked which kind of is like, okay, why should you be shocked that, you know, I play piano? I also ran track. (laughs) So I guess I took off that stereotype about being a good runner. I ran track. I learned a lot. I know how to curl. I know how to bowl. I know how to ski. I love Shakespeare, I do prefer playing classical music on the piano, weirdly enough. I'm not really interested in the popular songs, I, you know, I like my Beethoven and my Vivaldi and Chopin, like, you know, I just, that's me. And I think, you know, in relating that back to kind of health, because we were talked about when I was in my, I've always been health conscious, but my early 20s, I got my master's in environmental health studies with a focus on Health promotion. So, how does our environment affect our health? But not just our physical environment, you know, our spiritual environment, our emotional environment. You know, how do all these aspects contribute to how we experience our health? And I completely got into yoga. I became a vegetarian. I think my family was just like, what's going on with you? (laughs) You know, because I was just doing things very differently or non-typical black things, which is interesting, right? Because there's an assumption that, okay, black people do certain things, brown people do certain things, you know, Asian people do certain things and white people do certain things. You know, I mean, I'm kind of really interested in exploring all these stereotypes and the way they shape how we approach other people or even how they have an effect on how we experience our health, But yeah, that was it's been interesting growing up in a very, very small town and then having to kind of figure out where I fit in as an adult doing all these non traditional activities or having this non-traditional interest, so to speak.
0: Well, there's a lot more that we have in common than I realized. One of them is my father's really into Shakespeare. And he's a pianist who loves classical music. So I'm like, wow, you two would really get along. <laughs> but the interesting thing that you're touching upon is also the traditional side of things. You know, I grew up with parents that had a lot of emphasis on tradition, especially my mother. And sometimes her thinking felt too rigid because I remember for so much of my life feeling like, I don't want to have to do something just because people have been doing it for a long time. And that's a huge part of my personality. I don't really think about it too much, but I'm a little on the rebellious side, but not like intentionally. I'm not trying to rebel in the sense of like stirring things up and getting people aggravated. It's just that I push back against things that don't make sense and I especially don't like it when people say things like, well, that's just the way things are or that's the th- way things always have been. That drives me nuts because I believe that we're constantly learning as a society. And there are plenty of examples of things that we've done that have been completely wrong. You know, you talk about health where we're learning so much about our bodies. There's still a big mystery. And you look back on some of the health practices that people did, you know, even 30 years ago, which is fairly recent, maybe 50 years ago, like we were doing things that today we would never think to do anymore, you know, and we've changed the rules. So to have a rigid viewpoint on health doesn't make any sense. And then, of course, the viewpoints on treating other people and how we've had and continue to have actually, I mean, there is so much emphasis on the horrible things we've done to other human beings in the past, but we have to keep our attention on what we're continuing to do to people right now in 2022. And it's interesting to hear how you're using these phrases like non-typical. And I think, well, why does anything have to be typical? You know, Why do people want to put us in these boxes like you brought up?
1: Yeah, I think that's a big thing for me, right? And I'm very similar to you in that sense. I'm constantly asking the why. Well, you know, why does it have to do? That's what we always do. Why? Like, what's the rationale? What's the... And just because you've always done something doesn't necessarily mean... Maybe it worked five years ago. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work now. You know, if if you've always gotten takeout food and your family tradition is, you know, you have takeout food three times a week and you watch TV, maybe it worked at a certain point and now you're at a different point and that is no longer, you know, maybe a healthy practice for, for several reasons and you have to shift. But I kind of feel like as human beings, we're very interesting, right? In the sense that there's such a resistance to changing things. And especially if that change means that, or for some people, maybe a perception of I'm losing something, you know, by me changing, it's, this change is at a loss. So I'll change if it's at a benefit to me. But if there's a perception that, oh, this change means less for me, less resources for me, then in that case, even if somebody else is suffering, yep, I don't want to sign onto that, right? But not thinking of the collective benefit of having a cohesive and healthy community relationship, like, you know, country, city, world. But then people are like, oh, that's what we've always done. But I'm like, well, why do you have a new iPhone then? Just keep your iPhone from 2008. Just tell Apple I'm not upgrading this is my phone, not changing it. Don't get a new laptop. Like People upgrade their cars, they upgrade their laptops, their cell phones, there are so many things, but then these other things are like, nope, it's tradition. This is what we do without really questioning, well, why do we do it this way and does this still make sense? And just by changing doesn't necessarily mean you're giving up anything. You could just be having a better version of yourself better version of your family. But I mean, I do kind of find it fascinating when I guess I'm not, I mean, there are some traditions that I keep because I'm like, yes, that makes sense. It makes me feel good. They're healthy. And other traditions that to me, I don't see as valuable or healthy, I'm willing to let them go. And I don't see that as me losing a part of myself because in the process of gained something new to add to me.
0: I love the way that you put that. And I love that example of the iPhone or the cars or all these other things that people seem not only easy to change, but eager to change. And something else you said about being resistant to change. I'm thinking how I feel like I'm resistant to staying the same, but that in itself can be challenging too. And I'm curious about your perspective on this, where in the health world, there seems to be... A borderline addiction to change. Like, I'm always going to up level. I'm never good enough as I am. There's always got to be something better that I can try. And I think a lot of that can be linked to capitalism, consumerism, you know, just a new product coming out every day and the marketing convincing us that there's something wrong with who we are. So we need to buy this thing to feel better, to look better. How do you feel about that? From as a health professional, like do you find that clients are coming in constantly thinking that there's something wrong with them?
1: That's an interesting one. For the most part, people that come to see me, there is something. There's something going on, right? So most people will come to see me as a naturopathic doctor because either they've been dealing with an illness or health condition for years or even months. It's not getting better, or maybe they decided they didn't want to do medication right now, like pharmaceuticals, or maybe they try the pharmaceuticals, they're not feeling good on them. But what I notice is there is this jumping from one thing to the other, right? So that kind of like jumping from one practitioner to the other practitioner, or people be like, oh, how about this supplement? Oh, how about this supplement? Oh, there's something else. Like I need this, Because I saw... And advertising is... um, Because as somebody that hasn't had cable for over two decades, it's been really fascinating how my opinion and views of things are different. So we don't have cable in our home and I haven't had cables for over two decades. I don't get all the advertising. My kids don't get all the advertising. I have premium on YouTube so I could skip all the ads. And so... I can see because people are constantly being bombarded with stuff that's making you really question yourself, right? And in the medical field, I think for the longest time, the idea is the doctor is the expert on your body, right? Just go to the doctor. They know best. They'll tell you what to do which is really just farming out your power over your own body to another human being. And I kind of tell patients that, listen, you are in your body 24-7. So I don't know your body as well as you know your body. And this is more of a, a partnership that we're having, we're entering into, right? You and I are partners. I have some knowledge and you want to get a certain place. You're like, i kind of like, a, you know, a guide. You're like, this is where I want to go to. And I know the way to get there. So together we're gonna walk to work together to get to where you wanna be. But I do notice that because there's so much information coming at people, yeah, there's just this level of it's either people are constantly changing or people kind of get into a certain camp. Like, I'm a vegan. There's so many diets, even for me, I can't really keep up, but people get really entrenched in this is how I have to eat for life. And I see that as very problematic in the sense that, now I use myself as an example. For so many years, I followed all the recommendations. You know, it's kind of like, and all the recommendations that were given, honestly, it's general. It's not really personalized to the person. So a good one is the gut. Everybody should eat fermented foods. You know, I was spending so much money, You know, we lived in on the West Coast, going to my farmer's market, which I love, paying ridiculous amounts of money for like, you know, fermented food that was made by a very lovely person that was blessed and it was just beautiful and organic and kombucha and doing all this fermented stuff. And I have to say, you know, in general, my health was, I felt healthy, but I was having some health issues that just wasn't making any sense. I also tried the paleo diet. And for me, it was, I couldn't understand. Why did I get gain more fat? And why did I go to the doctor? And it was telling me that I was pre-diabetic. I'm like, I don't eat processed foods. I cook. We cook every day of the week in my house. Like I cook every day. I have. I go to farmer's market. I get my veggie box delivered. How am I pre-diabetic? My kids have never been to McDonald's. We don't eat fast food. And so I stopped doing the paleo diet because it didn't really make sense. Fast forward a few years later, I get interested in genetics. I'm like, it has to be my genetics. So I'm always kind of finding the why to things. Like, why is this happening? Why are you sick? Why do you have diabetes? Why can't you sleep? You know, it's always that question of why, why, why. And then I discovered that from a genetic perspective, half the stuff I was doing does not agree with me. Like, I don't do well with histamine and fermented foods are high in histamine. I used to be like, nope, if you have a good diet, you don't need a multivitamin. And then I had all this. I call them glitches and how my body processes pre-vitamins that we get from food. Well, you know, I could use as many carrots as I want to in certain foods. I'm not going to have enough active amount of these vitamins in my body. So now I take a multivitamin every day. So this idea of getting into a certain camp and then believing that you have to just follow that till you die. You know, I'm a person that'll go to a restaurant, order a vegan salad, And then put a piece of grilled chicken or sausage on top of it. Because you know what? That's what my body, my body likes that. My body functions with that. And so I think it's just polarization that I just noticed that's also creeping into healthcare. Like if you're not this way, then you're not really healthy.
0: Before continuing this conversation, this feels like the perfect time to shout out the sponsor, Athletic Greens. Following your gut is incredibly important, and taking care of your gut health <laughs> is also very important. It is for me, at least. I really value probiotics. That's one of the reason I started taking AG1, because it has probiotics plus 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, adaptogens to support elements of your body like your gut health. I feel like it is something that I've learned to trust, not just because it looks really nice and it tastes great, but it's also based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. It has been recommended by professional athletes and it's trusted by leading health experts. And after I started taking it, I really felt like this was a small thing I could do every single day to take great care of myself, especially my gut. If you would like to try it out, I've made it super easy. And Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of their immune-supporting vitamin D, as well as five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash wellevator. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R, and there you can take ownership over your health by picking up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Let me know how it goes. Now back to the conversation. I love that you touched upon histamines, by the way, because this is something I've been dabbling in off and on, and I recently circled back to because I was having a reaction that didn't make sense, kind of similar to you. I've I've dabbled in all sorts of different diets. I've been plant-based for almost 20 years now. And even within plant-based eating, I've dabbled with different variations. And it's been so tricky. And I've spent way too much time thinking about my weight, in my opinion. I'm like... If I can just put my what my body looks like aside, but focus on how my body feels, that has started to become a lot more important. And one thing that I've been struggling with for at least 10 or 15 years is a lot of like nasal reactions, sneezing or itchiness and all of that. And actually, one thing that's helped me a lot was cutting back on histamines. And s- similar to what you said, and I felt like is worth emphasizing, is that perspective of All these gut-healthy foods, like the fermented foods you touched upon, people say like, oh, they're great for you. Everybody should eat them. But those are all really high in histamines, a great majority of them at least. And a lot of foods that people talk about as being healthy, they might have health benefits, but if they're making you feel awful... It's not worth it. I was actually very surprised. I had an aha moment around a yogurt that I ate. You know, People talk about yogurt being this great, perfect food. I had a plant-based coconut yogurt with no sugar and it tasted great, really simple ingredients, but there was a probiotic strain in there that was activating my histamines. And it, I looked it up And lo and behold, it was on the list of high histamine probiotics. I had no idea. People just say probiotics as a whole category are great. So I imagine, does this type of thing come up for you too, given that your knowledge of histamines and how to just lump things into categories, whether, as you said, unprocessed foods, like any unprocessed food will be good for any person.
1: Yeah. So I had a personal experience with histamine as well because I'm lactose intolerant. So just a trial and error to find a non-dairy yogurt that did not taste disgusting. I got to say, they're gross. (laughs) A lot of them are gross, <laughs> and I'm used to taking herbal tinctures and stuff like that, so it's not like if I've had a very sugar heavy diet and that's why it's gross i'm I've taken some very you know strong herbs, but uh, some of the yogurts are just gross the consistency, the taste like the look of it. My oldest son at one point is like, mom, just stop buying yogurt. I'm okay. Cause it's like, this was just so bad. I thought, oh gosh, honey, you're, you're right. This dude tastes horrible. It's like, just skip it. I just will not have yogurt. It's it's okay. I'm fine. So I finally found a coconut one, great consistency. I work out about three to four times a week and I thought, okay, I'm about to do a HIIT workout. Let me have a little snack, a little yogurt and granola before my workout. I was feeling great did my electrolyte water, had the yogurt. And 20 minutes later, I literally, like patients tell me that their brain feels fuzzy. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I've never had a fuzzy brain, but I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what people mean. I was disoriented. I actually did not work out that day because all of a sudden I had incredible fatigue and I thought, oh, this is so weird. I really don't feel well. And I don't feel very clear in my head. So I think I laid down or I did something else. Two days later, time for a workout. Paid 10 bucks for that tub of yogurt. I'm eating it. So I'm like, nope, I already paid money. This is going down. We're going to try this again. Same thing happened. And then I realized, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's a histamine reaction that I'm having. I'm just not breaking out in hives. I mean, I have anaphylaxis to certain foods as well, which is pretty bad. But instead of me like breaking out in hives, what I had was incredible fatigue and brain fog. I'm like, oh, now I know what patients are talking about when they tell me they have brain fog. This is what this feels like. You know, I was Costco, geez, I should have gotten an avocado farm. I was going through a bag of Costco avocados a week. I was like, like I said, doing kombucha and kefir and spending way too much money on fermented foods, in my opinion, than I should be spending. And yeah, from personal experience, there are quite a few people that genetically, they're not able to break down histamine. In their digestive tract. And then there are certain probiotics that actually increase the level of histamine. And then there are other probiotics that actually help you break down histamine. And you're right, people just say take a probiotic. Well, you know, eating fermented foods doesn't work for everybody. Some people really need to slow down and significantly reduce their fermented food intake. I also have seasonal allergies, which just kept getting worse each year. And I thought, oh, I'm getting older. This is what happens. You know, you hit a certain age and everything starts falling off the bus. What's going to happen tomorrow? And of course, because I was eating so much fermented foods, when spring came around, my allergies were just horrible to the point that I wasn't sleeping. And I started waking up at night to go to the bathroom. Of course, I blamed that on my boys. I'm like, oh my God, those kids just wrecked my pelvic floor, like, you know, two big babies, and I'm not a particularly big person. I went to pelvic floor physical therapy. I'm like, oh my gosh, my pelvic floor is going to hell. And then I discovered it was a histamine reaction because I'll have kombucha or kefir with dinner to help digest my food, get my microbiome going. And I got to tell you, ever since I cut out that stuff out, I still the same pelvic floor, like, I haven't had to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom anymore. I still have allergies, but they're super manageable. I take quercetin and some natural antihistamine and I'm on my way. And so probiotics are not all created equal. Like we have this system and this also extends to the natural health realm where we just, everybody gets lumped in to the same category. Everybody needs to be on a probiotic to improve their gut health. Everybody needs to be on fish oil. Everybody, you know, This kind of diet is the best diet. I say I respectfully disagree with that view. With my experience and with working with people using their genetics, You know, people come to me, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know how you should eat. I don't know what kind of exercise you should do. I have no idea what vitamins you should take. I honestly don't know. I know what works for me, but I do know how to find out what's best for you. And that's looking at your genetics, because when you do things from a genetic or genomic perspective, then you're really dialing into what that particular person needs. And what I may need may not, what benefits me, what's my medicine may be your poison and vice versa, right? And most research that's done is not really looking at genetic variabilities between us As human beings, I mean, yes. As a whole, it's been really interesting working with a variety of people from different ethnicities. We have way more in common as a human species than which has really enlightened me to the social construct that's being used to divide us. Because when you look at a genetic level, we are way more similar than we are different. Sure, there are going to be some aspects of my DNA that's unique to the fact that you know my ancestors are from Africa and your ancestors are from Europe so they're going to be like pockets of things that would apply differently to us but by and large there are a lot of genetic similarities that we carry that this variant is going to affect me similarly as it's going to affect you even though we're two different ethnicities so i'm hoping that the natural health field will like well, just healthcare in general will kind of embrace going back to looking at people more on an individual level and getting away from this camps of everybody needs to be gluten-free, everybody needs to be like dairy-free, and meat is bad for everybody. I'm like, well, it depends on the kind of meat, right? There are different types of meat. So you can't just say all meat is bad. But then there are some people that really do well, and benefit on a plant-based diet so if you feel good on a plant-based diet you have minimal nutrient deficiencies and you have energy vitality and you're you're thriving then absolutely yes do that and some people do not thrive on a complete like you know on a sole plant-based diet and they may have to add animal products or do a lot of supplementation in order for them to not be deficient so just getting away from this right wrong way to eat or to do things i think would be very helpful for our emotional and mental health and our physical health as well
0: you've touched upon so many nuances because what i'm hearing is just the all the complexities in which go into figuring out what's right for you and sometimes it can feel really overwhelming and confusing i mean for me also this Histamine realization I had, I stumbled upon it. I have a few videos I did, I think probably from close to 10 years ago. I came across this book about low histamine eating. And back then, it was like the only resource I could find. There was just such minimal information. And that's another example of our evolving knowledge base of what health is because sometimes things are just really under the radar and you need a professional to bring you there. And then you have to kind of be mindful of all the marketing out there. Even when you're talking about the plant-based diet, I've been vegan since 2003. And watching that evolution happening where it was on the more fringe side when I started, and now it's become trendy. And the danger of it becoming trendy is that, to your point, there's a lot of messaging out there kind of lumping people in and and saying like, don't eat these things. And there's of course an ethical side of it, right? Which is a completely different matter. And I think on the ethical side, there's been a lot of progress to find creative ways to get nutrition from non-animal sources. But even there, there can be issues. Just because it's vegan doesn't mean it's healthy, doesn't mean that it's going to make you feel good. Some people though would rather physically, personally suffer so that they can relieve suffering from another animal. And, and that's their choice. If they Or they're really passionate about the environment. That's another thing too. So if you're choosing to suffer, (laughs) I suppose that's a different story. But to your point, I'm seeing how I think some people are almost silently suffering because they feel like they should be doing something. So they can't even fully recognize the fact that they're unnecessarily suffering. And maybe the suffering is the result of doing what everybody else is doing. So there's kind of these two sides of it where I have this belief that people should be treated equally, but we have to acknowledge that we're not all equal on every level. There's so many variables that go into somebody's physical, mental, and emotional experience. And so that's where it becomes complex. That's where we need to ask questions and not make assumptions.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Are we eating too much animal-based products? A hundred percent. Like, you know, I feel like when when people come to me, I'm like, okay, here's a diet diary. Just write down what you're eating. Let me have a look. Vast majority of people are not eating enough fruits and vegetables. Like, you know, so there are certain things we have to change in the system. For some people, I'm not saying that, you know, if having animal products is beneficial for your health, there are ways to source ethical, healthy animal products. Is it going to cost you more money? Yes. But guess what? You're going to eat less. When you're paying, you are going to... I eat less animal product because it is expensive, right? So the four of us, who share a steak. We're not each having an eight ounce steak, right? So that's the difference, right? The difference is the sheer volume of animal products that we're eating is so out of balance with other nutritious things that we should be putting into our bodies. Like, you know, more fresh fruits, more vegetables, more legumes, more nuts, more seeds. So what I'm advocating for and what I tell people is like, listen, your plate should be mainly plant-based and you could toss in like, you know, if you need the extra protein. So based on my genetics, I was a vegetarian for about five or six years. When I went to naturopathic medical school, my first year, I was dying. One of my teachers had to call me aside and say, are you okay? And I was just like, Why? Because it's like you're falling asleep in class. Like, you know, you don't look well. I'm like, no, 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 I'm okay. I think I'm just tired. But I mean, you know, I did that for about five or six years. And then I just slowly started incorporating some animal products, but ethically sourced animal products. And now that I look at my genetics, genetically, I need a lot of protein, but I need very little carbs and I don't do well with saturated fats. Right. So, If I had a diet that was very heavy in animal products, it's bad for my heart, right? So I have to balance this uh, plant-based proteins, like, you know, legumes, nuts, seeds, with a little bit of animal product for me to find that balance where I'm meeting my protein needs, but I'm not going over my fat intake allowance that I'm able to have. But knowing what my body needs and what my body uses efficiently, it's been a lot Less daunting for me to figure out what I should eat and how I should like. I can't do carbs. Like my body does not metabolize carbs very well. So I'm just like, okay, I'll do vegetable, like starchy vegetables. We make pizza every Friday, but you know, we make it at home. And that's the only time that I'm actually doing anything that's got a significant amount of carbs in it. But again, it's learning how to kind of Find this balance, you know. I mean, I'm also an acupuncturist. So a big part of Chinese medicine is balance. And our lives and our society, we're just swinging from one extreme to it's like a pendulum, like one extreme to the other. That's how things seem to be swinging. And I get it. The extremes are exciting and they're sensational, and that's what draws attention in people, right? But there's so much talk about mental health. Right now and the middle is where you have that equanimity. You're not on one end or the other. You're right in the middle. Is it sexy? Not particularly. Is it exciting? Eh, Probably not really. Right. But it's healthy. Right. And it's peaceful and it's calm. So I guess, you know, it just depends on where you want to be and what you want in your life. Like, are you looking more for the, the big swings or? Are you looking more for, you know, for that middle? But I feel healthcare really needs to get away from these big pendulum swings that we, we seem to be doing. And it's becoming very confusing for people because I have people come in and, you know, I'm telling them as their naturopathic doctor, this is what I believe is going to help you. But then they see something on TV or they see something on Facebook or on Instagram, and then it becomes this tug of war, hmm. Do I listen to you? I have paid you a lot of money. You have those qualifications, but the packaging, the advertising, all the stuff looks so exciting. This has to work. And I tell people, if you want to try it, as long as it's not going to interfere or it's not, you know, it's not bad for them. And most times they're like, yeah, I tried it. It didn't work. I'm like, that's okay. People kind of have their experience and and do their thing, but The messaging out there is, yeah, it is becoming very overwhelming, very confusing for people to just figure out how to survive as a human being. Like even something as simple as food, when something as simple as a basic need, such as food has become so complicated, how can you figure out bigger things like why you're here? And what you're doing with your life when you can't even figure out what to have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Should you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Should I snack? Should I not snack? You know what kind of snacks should I have? How much water should I drink? Maybe I should stop having coffee. Coffee is bad for you. No, coffee is good for you. I mean, it's insane, right? But of course, I get all this stuff because people come to me, right? And yeah, it's overwhelming. It's I can see how it's. Become very overwhelming for the average person to figure out what they should eat, let alone figure out their lives.
0: That is so beautifully said, and it's interesting because, um, you know, speaking of social media, I I work in social media, and I spend a lot of time on TikTok as my main platform, and it is such a fascinating place to spend time because. You hear perspectives from all these different people around the world. This is why I love it. And you can really curate it in a way that brings in information that you're interested in. And then sometimes like other things will come into your feed that you wouldn't normally be interested in. You start to learn things. And I think that I have a curiosity about beauty culture, fashion. Sometimes I'm, even though I don't. Get involved with that. Like, I'm not someone that regularly wears makeup or shops for clothes. Like, I'm just that it doesn't interest me on my personal level in that way, but I'm interested in it in a cultural sense. And so I end up seeing a lot of content about people like the Kardashians and how they impact the beauty standards and all that. And we're recording this episode in mid September 2022. Around this time, there one of the family members, Courtney Kardashian, is launching a new supplement line. And I saw some people reacting to it because, of course, as a Kardashian, they're very good at branding. So the supplement line has a catchy name and it has cool packaging. And I've seen some different perspectives on this. People saying, well, maybe this is really good because for the age range, they're probably targeting... It's likely that they feel confused and overwhelmed when buying supplements because most of them are not really well-branded. And so would you rather buy something that looks like it was made in the 70s or would you like to buy something that looks current and hip and is marketed by a famous person? And then there's the other side of that saying, well, actually, that could be really dangerous because maybe they're just creating this packaging because they want to make as much money as possible. And that's at the cost of somebody buying something that looks nice, but actually doesn't have results. I'm curious if you have an opinion, Kardashian or not, but just on the branding in the health world, you know, you could say this about food packaging too. I mean, there's so much work that goes into making something look appealing and there's no denying that that's driven by capitalism. Like people want you to buy their stuff. I actually tend to be drawn towards less branded products because part of me thinks, hmm, maybe they're not spending as much time branding it because they're focused on making it taste good or like have really good ingredients. Like Maybe this is a small business that doesn't have the budget. I find myself not trusting the fancy packaging in a lot of cases because I think, are they in this for nutrition or are they in this for the money?
1: Well, that's interesting, right? Because the supplement industry is not regulated. Whitney, you can start your own supplement company tomorrow if you care to in your kitchen and you could put stuff together, capsule it, slap a really fancy label on it, do like, you know, pay somebody a lot of money to promote it for you, advertise it for you. And we're now in an age where it's all about what something looks like and not really, what I'm noticing is a lack of questioning. And maybe people are just so exhausted and tired with life, they just want somebody to tell them, what should I eat? What should I drink? What should I take? I get that from people a lot. And I'm like, listen, I get you're tired and exhausted. So why don't we try to give you more energy and resource so you can actually start thinking about the things that you're doing and the choices that you're making. So right now, everything's all about packaging, like you know what it looks like, oh, this person looks a certain way, so they must know what they're talking about. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And I mean, I don't follow the Kardashians. They make handbags and Spanx likes things and stuff like that, which I believe everybody should, in a way, kind of, you know, whatever your strength is, like, you know, I am not a surgeon. So I'm not going to come on here talking about surgical things. That's not my wheelhouse. That's not my strength. I'm a naturopathic doctor, I'm an acupuncturist, so I'm going to talk to you about what I know and also what I know from experience. So I don't know who they've sold the supplements to. I don't know who is on their medical advisory board telling them that, oh, this combination of stuff is good for you. And as I often tell patients, when you're buying stuff, you know, like in a health food store or online, there are certain guidelines as to what you can put in your supplement. At least I know in Canada there is. So a lot of times people will come to me, they say, oh, well, I tried that supplement, it didn't work. I said, well, it didn't work because it was over the counter and you didn't take enough of it. It's like taking your antibiotic at a quarter of the dose and then saying, well, my infection is still there, this antibiotic sucks. It's like, no, you have to take penicillin, 500 milligrams, three or four times a day in order for it to be effective. There's a reason there is a dosage amount, like any supplement or drug has what you call a half-life, which is the amount of time it takes for half of it to be broken down in your body. Now, there are different genetic variants, so people are going to do that process a little differently depending on your genetics. But if you take your medicine shorter or longer than what's recommended, it is going to affect the kind of effect you're going to get from the medication. And the same goes for supplements, right? So if you're taking a supplement and there isn't a therapeutic dose for everything, there's a certain amount that you have to take for it to be therapeutic. That means for it to exert a physiological change in your body. So if you need 400 milligrams of magnesium to calm down and you're taking 50 or 150, yes, you're not going to feel calm. It's not the magnesium. You just bought the wrong kind. But it's not your fault because how are you supposed to know that there's six or 10 different types of magnesium and they all do different things? There's one to make you poop. There's one to make you feel calm. There's one for your mind. I mean, you know, there's one for muscle function. I could go on and on, right? So if you are trying to sleep and you picked up the poopy, the magnesium for poops, well, yeah, you may not notice that, oh, my bowel movements are working on nicely these days, but you didn't bite to have a poop. You bought it to be able to sleep. When people come to me, I'm just like, well, yeah. It's like, oh, well, yeah, that's a good product, but you have to take 10 of these in order for you to get the effect. Dose per capsule is so low that you have to take so much of it in order for you to get a therapeutic effect. Now, having said that, there are some companies that only sell to medical professionals. And the reason is because those companies have to follow certain guidelines. So even though nobody's regulating them, they are kind of loosely in a way, they're kind of self-regulating and there's best practices that they have to adhere to and they only sell to professionals. So when you come to me and I give you a supplement, are you paying more money for it? Yes. But you, I mean, it seems like you're paying more money for it, but you only have to take two capsules instead of 10. So- which one is cheaper, right? But when you get a product that's only available to healthcare practitioners, the responsibility is on the healthcare practitioner because they have a license. They should know what they're doing. They should know, like, the maximum dose of this supplement or this herbal remedy is this. And after this dose, you will have side effects. And can you have side effects from taking supplements and herbal remedies? 100% yes. Can you have drug-herb interactions? Yep. Can you have drug-supplement interactions? Can you have herb-herb interactions, herb-supplement interactions, herb-drug interactions? Absolutely. You can have all of those things. And so I'm just like, well, if you're going to start making... It's like buying a car, which I guess some people do, based on how the car looks, and not saying, okay, how much gallons am I going to get per mile? Because economically, you really do want to get an efficient car. You get a car that looks really good, but then it costs you five hundred dollars a month to fill it up. You get a car that's not shiny, but you're only paying two hundred. So, where are your priorities when it comes to your health? I mean, yeah, this is news to me. I do not follow um, the Kardashians at all, and so I didn't know one of them was getting into supplement business. But I don't really know their qualification, and even if they're not qualified. I would like to see who is on their medical advisory board telling them that, yeah, this supplement, as far as I know, none of them have a medical degree. And so how do they know what is going to be helpful for a particular person that has a health problem? So this is using your platform and your notoriety to promote something that in my opinion, maybe you're not really qualified to do but again maybe somebody's advising them and they have a medical team to be like, yeah, this is absolutely possible that they have a medical team that's helping them but you know for the companies that I use you can go to their website and it shows you who is on their medical advisory team like who is guiding the formulations of this supplement. And so when I see medical doctors, DOs, DCs, NDs, PhDs, I'm like, okay, this is based on research. I want supplements that's based on research. So when I recommend it to someone, I know that it is going to help you with your health issue and you're not just wasting your money.
0: You touched upon a few amazing things as usual. I love the way that you think through these and you're so passionate about awareness and paying attention and your point about people perhaps feeling so overwhelmed that they want someone else to pay attention. They want someone else to do the research. They want someone else to tell them what to do. And that's very relatable. But if we can at least ask some questions, it puts us on a track that perhaps steers us in a better direction. And It's a practice too. If you can turn the box over of something before you buy it and read a little bit about it before just buying it because you saw an ad on Instagram, if you can talk to your doctor about it, great. And a lot of these supplements do advise that you talk to your doctor, but how many people do that? But maybe at your next appointment, if you're going in for a physical and annual exam, like bring some supplements with you and and mention it or talk about some food brands and really have a conversation. It could take just a few minutes, but make this big impact. And as you've been talking about genetics, I'm so interested in digging into that further. But something else that I want to make sure that we touch upon, you and I were speaking before the recording about a different element of appearance, So we have the appearance of products and how the visuals might be a little bit deceiving. You were sharing with me an experience you have about people perceiving you in different parts of your country of Canada. It sounds like just North America in general, the East Coast versus West Coast and the different types of treatment and how some people... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but basically they were treating you differently based on the way that you look and how you noticed a big difference between the different coasts of North America. And I'd love to hear you speak more about that. And why do you think that is? Since you're a Y person, why do you think people treat you differently as a doctor based on how you look?
1: Such a complex question, right? Because I think for so many of us, you know, kind of going back to that tradition and the way things are. Um, we are all a product of our environment and our family, right? So some of us come from very open families, others not as open families. Some, you know, when I look at my group of friends, we're very mixed. So my kids have a lot of people they call auntie and uncle that don't look anything like either one of their parents or them, right? if you're raised in a, in a certain kind of family or city or town where maybe you don't see a lot of representation, I think there's that the, maybe that preconceived notion who you feel can help you or can't help you. And I know my father, as a surgeon, he had people who say, yeah, no, I don't want a black man operating on me. And so I think, you know, in this field... In my field of naturopathic medicine or natural medicine in general, I think it's slowly changing, but it's really seen as this field that things that mainly white people do. I am getting more and more people of color. I'm getting more uh, more black women and some men that are reaching out to me to say, "You know what? I think I want to do this naturally." And I think for a lot of people, maybe you know, when I was on the, I was in Vancouver, and for me personally, it was difficult for me to just make inroads and get my foot in the door to so many places just to talk about some of these ideas or i you know be invited to give a talk or give my perspective on health and you know my perspective is going to be slightly colored based on the fact that you know I'm a black woman of African descent that was mainly raised in Canada right I just have that you know juxtaposition within me. In the sense that it's it's interesting, you know, I'm not really, if I were to go to Nigeria, you know, I'm not really, really Nigerian, but then I'm not really, really Canadian. Like people ask me, oh, so how long have you been here? Uh, I was born in Montreal. (laughs) And so there's that assumption that I'm not from here. The assumption that I'm not from here, but I've lived in Canada. I was born in Montreal. I moved to Nigeria for about 8 years from the age of 2 to 10 and then my family moved back here so I've spent fast more of my life has been spent in Canada as a Canadian and Nigeria as a Nigerian and so I think that assumption that you know I'm not from here is kind of like I actually I had a, a situation in one of the clinics I worked in in, in BC Where a lady came in and she's like, Oh, I'm looking for a naturopath. And her front desk person's like, Oh yeah, we have a naturopath that works here. You know, her name is, you know, Dr. Ibiomole, and you know, she's great. She's like, Oh, where's she from? And she's like, I don't understand the question. (laughs) I was actually in the back room listening to this conversation. Yeah, I was in the back room. Of course, she was not aware that I was there. And so the front desk person is like. She's like yeah she lives in BC she's like from here she's like no but but where is she from that name where where is she from where did she go to school she's like oh no she's like no 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 she she went to school in the states she did most of her you know she did all her schooling in Canada and then she did her her medical degree in the states and she's like and she made some comment about oh you know these people they come from somewhere else and then they go to somewhere for two years I mean I could tell that the front desk person was just visibly uncomfortable. And initially she just didn't realize where this was going. Right, And so there are all these preconceived notions about who holds knowledge and who doesn't, and who can help me and who can't help me, who is smart and who isn't smart. And I think these are just very, very deep notions that go back to like, you know, colonialism and you really can't start unpacking all these things without talking about colonialism and the portrayal of other people as others that are therefore less intelligent, less driven, less everything. And so when it comes to, but all that stuff is 95% of what we do is in our subconscious. We're just running a program that we've been given so we think we're making all these decisions, but no, you're just making a decision based on a program that you've probably been running for all or most of your life. So when people are making these decisions, I don't think it's a conscious thing, that, but I do feel like there's this, underneath it, for some people, there is this way of thinking that's based on who they believe is intelligent and knowledgeable. And oftentimes that person is not a black woman, even though she may have way more degrees, you know, than anybody else that still doesn't really sink in and break that barrier. But on the East coast, it's way more diverse compared to West coast in Canada. You know, BC is definitely not as diverse in the sense that there are basically three type of ethnic groups that make up BC, Asians, Caucasians, and Indians, you know, like, you know, South is Indian, so from, and that's like South Asians, you know, that is the population. So you have South Asians, Asians, and Caucasians. They make up the bulk of the population in British Columbia. Any other minority group is very, very tiny. And then you move over to the East Coast, Ontario, that's way more diverse. Like, you know, those numbers, I think maybe, I want to say between 20 to Maybe around twenty five percent or thirty percent of the population is actually visible minority. So I've gone from one percent to almost twenty percent. That's kind of like a big jump. And I think, and I spoke to another colleague who's also an acupuncturist. She said it's just on the east coast of Canada, especially Ontario. It is the the most diverse province that we have, and people are used to seeing. Different people from different ethnicities hold positions of power and influence and do well in those positions. So, that idea that oh, only one group of people have knowledge, I don't think is as prevalent. Not that it's not there, but maybe it's um, a little less prevalent. And I am having more people from different groups reach out to me to say, hey, you know what? We like what you have to say. We're interested in your perspective. And I found that very fascinating. I had a South Asian lady reach out to me and be part of a group. You know, you and I are doing this right now. I've had people within the Black community also reach out to me to say, hey, we kind of like your message and what you're doing. Would you come talk to our group? Which is, this has all happened out here, not when I was on the West Coast.
0: A brief pause here to thank this episode sponsor, Zencaster, who makes it possible for me to record with people from all around the world, to amplify different voices so that I can learn, you can learn, we can all learn together to grow. That is a wonderful opportunity that I've had because of the tools that Zencaster offers. They make it so easy to record amazing video, high quality audio, to edit it, to even distribute it if you would like to, and monetize just as I'm doing right now by working with them as a sponsor. It truly is this all-in-one platform. So whether you're wondering how I do things, out of curiosity, or perhaps you're thinking of starting your own podcast, or maybe you're a podcaster who wants to optimize and simplify your process, I cannot recommend Zencaster enough. If you want to check it out, you can use my code WellEvatorZen at ZenCaster.com slash pricing. That's linked below and spelled out W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R-Z-E-N at ZenCaster.com slash pricing. There you will receive a 30% off discount off of your first three months of ZenCaster Professional. I truly want you to have the same simple experiences that I have With all of my podcasting and content needs, I truly believe it is finally time to tell your story. One of the big themes of our discussion today seems to be around a few things. I would say not making assumptions based on what someone or something looks like. Looking at tradition and looking at how we've done things. With a curious lens versus assuming that the way we've been doing things is still going to work in this present moment. And also honoring the differences within ourselves and others and asking those questions, you know, that curiosity throughout this whole process of what's going on with me, what's going on with someone else. And raising our awareness so that we're not carrying our biases about ourselves and others, especially when it comes to health. I mean, this comes up so much too. And on another level of appearance, the more that I've learned about health, the more I see how much our society, especially in North America, has placed this emphasis on things like thinness and youth and beauty as if those are all the definitive indicators of health, but you can look a certain way and have horrible health. And you can also look another way and have great health. But people might assume based on marketing and, and societal traditions that, oh, like this is how you should look if you're a healthy human being. And I think that that is something we're really fighting against right now and and just all of the struggles that people have if they don't fall into a certain box and the more i've raised my awareness i've seen how the ideal beauty again in it seems to be in north america is a thin young white person they work out and they eat probably a trendy diet and they're in a certain age range and they dress a certain way. And all of those seem to be like the ideal. And, and it seems like anyone who's not that is maybe looked down upon, not taken seriously. People make assumptions about their health or their education or all these other factors. And talking with you today just really grows my desire to examine that on a personal level, but also here on this podcast and just continue to recognize that those media standards that have been set out. I mean, and your point about colonialism is so interesting because it's like, I think so many people are like striving for something that very few people even have. I think like percentage wise, the people that are represented in the media are falling into a very minority on its own like the percentage of people that have those type of bodies that we see represented on television like very few people have those bodies and yet those are the bodies that we're like kind of conditioned to strive for and to constantly change ourselves and at what cost is my ongoing question so i love your messaging around like asking more questions and focusing inwards on who you are not who society is kind of pressuring you to be.
1: Yeah, I think that's very important, the focusing inwards. And I'm always telling people, this is an inside job. Like, you know, but there's just so much noise. There's just so much noise getting to that point where you could just do that inside job. But this isn't anything new. I remember growing up and the idea of beauty was nothing that looked like me. Like, I always like to see the most beautiful women in the world. I'm like, okay, those like literally represent women that are in a quarter of the world. You literally search the entire world. Like, did you literally search the entire world? You can't put a bunch of women in a magazine that are from North America and say those, you know what I mean? So if you are a young girl anywhere else in the world, you're not beautiful. Even if you're a young girl in North America, you're not beautiful right? Because you don't have, your nose is in a certain way, your hips are in a certain way, your hair. For the longest time, I used to straighten my hair and I wore it straight. And now it's so interesting. A few years ago, my sister's like, just cut your hair. I'm like, oh, I can't cut my hair. What if I lose patience? People I'm like, Patients are like, patience are going to, you know, it's so interesting to have this conversation. The first thing that came to mind is my practice will suffer if I cut my hair and I go short and natural because, you know, it may make some people feel uncomfortable. They're going to be like, ooh, I don't really know, right? And not that I sit back, I'm like, wow, it's interesting how much kind of additioning or stuff that just kind of sips in there. And you may not be aware, but I'm like, that is so interesting. It wasn't, ooh, what style am I going to do? What color am I going to color it? The first thing is like, I can't do that because of where I am. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I might lose patience. Like my patient base is majority, like, you know, Caucasian people. And what if people all of a sudden are like, oh yeah, I don't think she's going to be able to help me because of the way she looks, you know, physically, like, especially with my hair. But yeah, beauty culture is so interesting, right? And I I think I don't have sons, not daughters, but at least I feel like it's getting better. I see... More companies that are kind of representing different bodies in their campaign now. So, the idea of, you know, I mean, black women in general, we have backsides, we have hips. I mean, I'm not one of those black women, right? So, I'm always being reminded by my sister. I fit the European standard of what a body should look like, right? I'm built very slight and built rather thin. I've been like this all my life, but. For all the other black women that are not built like that, and they have hips and thighs, and you know, they're more curvy. All of a sudden, they're not beautiful for a body shape that they literally had no choice. It's not like you had a choice. Yep, put me in this body, and yep, I'll take that body. Like you don't. Your bones are the way that they are. Your muscle structure is the way that it is. And so when we're talking about health, I'm really more interested, like, you know, in really looking at, are you nutrient deficient? Can you like, can you move? If you could move through your day, do all your activities, you are able to wake up in the morning and you feel refreshed, get your day done, go to bed. Like, there are other ways for us to measure health. There are ways that we could check certain markers to see if somebody's healthy or not. So I feel so much of this is just really based on emotion. We're having like an existential crisis, I think, at this particular point. So everybody's emotions is very high. I'm a person that likes to look at the facts, right? Is this person healthy? There are ways we could figure it out. I've always been thin. And a few years ago, I discovered that, oh, I'm not as healthy as I thought I was, despite the fact of me being a naturopathic doctor, having all this knowledge, doing everything I'm telling my patients to do. So you can't just look at someone and based on that say, oh, you fit a certain size, you're definitely healthy, you're a size 10, automatically, you know, you're not healthy. And it's like, we have all this system set up and those systems are being challenged right now. So many systems set up that are being challenged. And the question is, are we going to deal with it like a five-year-old and have a tantrum about it? Or are we actually going to kind of start having this conversation and saying, how can we build a new system where as many people, I always win. I always believe in win-wins. Like, you know, I'm always telling people, my kids, I'm like, I want a win-win situation. I want you to win. I want me to win. With my patients, I tell them this has to be win-win. If there's something you're not going to do, let me know. Just be honest with me. My ego is not, it's not a personal attack. You know, let me know so we could have a win-win. And I feel we have all these systems that have been set up that worked really well for a while. A certain percentage of the population benefited and a big chunk did not benefit. And now what are we going to do about that? And so when we're looking at economics, you have our food system, we have our healthcare, like so many healthcare systems are crumbling and there's this reluctance to change And, you know, start looking at things differently. We can't just medicate our way out of the current health crisis that we have. It's not going to work. And we have to come up with new alternatives. And that means allowing other people to sit at the table that may have solutions that maybe you haven't thought about. And I think that's exactly where we are right now with, you know, kind of like, Uh, From my uh, perspective, anyways, when I look at humanity and what's going on, I think we're really at a crossroad where we need different systems. It's going to benefit not just some of us, but all of us, you know, as much as possible. And I know that's a daunting thing, but all people can benefit when only some people are making all the decisions for everybody. Like only one voice is being heard. When there are other voices that could be kind of brought into the, you know, it's kind of like any other relationship that you have, right? You have friends that have different experiences. They have different backgrounds and you don't always have to agree, but you could at least listen to each other's perspective and, you know, meet, have a common ground where you're meeting. And our healthcare system right now is, yeah, it worked in the 50s and 60s and 70s. It's literally not working like the food guide. Is not working, (laughs) right? The food guide is not working, that so many things are not working, and people are getting more sick. And from that, becoming more frustrated. But I'm actually worried about the next generation. Like, I look at my kids' generation, and prediction is they'll be the first generation to have a shorter lifespan in a very long time. So I think you kind of have to take a hard look at our systems and what we're doing and how we're doing it. And are we just doing things based on emotion and tradition, or are we actually doing it on like facts and not just cherry picked? You know, it's very easy to cherry pick certain things that, okay, yeah, this fits my agenda and my ammo. but just looking at all the information. And then from that, like picking the best solutions, that's going to help as many people as possible.
0: This has been such a beautiful conversation. I love the way that you think about these things and really has inspired me to continue to ask questions and continue to challenge the systems and push back and remain curious. I think there are a lot of people that don't want the citizens to be curious. There's a lot of people that don't like questions and they don't want change, as you said from the beginning. But we have to find the internal strength to ask these questions, to find out how to take care of ourselves and to take care of others. And that's been a huge takeaway here for me with this conversation and just thinking about all the nuances and the overwhelm and, and how... At times, this might feel like a lot for us. But as you also mentioned, and I loved this, actually, I think it, you're talking about like when somebody comes to see you, you're asking them like, how can they make some shifts so that they can have more energy in their life? And that is a beautiful place to start to at, If you can create some more energy in your life, then suddenly it feels easier to take on these systems. It feels easier to ask questions. You have the room within yourself. And I just love how your passion for genetics. I mean, this has been so lovely. I've learned so much from you. I would love to know for the listener who wants to learn more about you and get in touch. Do you offer virtual sessions? Can people see you from anywhere in the world if they wanted to? And if so, how would they do that?
1: Yeah, I, I do offer especially when it comes to genetics and stuff like that. I do have my website, dr and there's information on how to contact me on my website. So, you know, if you have questions, there's there's a portal for patients that I see because I practice in both BC and Ontario. But for anywhere anybody else anywhere in the world that maybe has some questions of me, I do have a general box that you could click and just put in your questions and stuff like that. Sometimes I just help connect people to whomever, you know, another person, other practitioner that I feel would be, you know, able to help them. If I feel like, oh, you know what, that is not, for the most part, I really, you know, I stick to, I know my strengths. I know my wheelhouse, right? So that is where, and I'm comfortable because that is where my strengths lie in right? So sometimes people get in touch with me. I'm like, well, you know what? I think maybe this will be you know, just helping them find resources, but like you said, the the biggest thing is we we're trying to tackle all these big things, and we haven't really taken care of the foundational stuff. I always tell people it's like a house. You're building a house, and you're worried about the curtains and the furniture and the chandelier, but you didn't really think about the foundation. Like you know, like you're not thinking about. Hold on a second. What kind of foundation am I getting? Right. So. I see it. The foundation is boring. It's like cement and some stuff. Like, who wants to talk about the foundation? Let's talk about the exciting, fun stuff, right? But there is something to be said to getting back to foundational stuff, you know, basic stuff that's driven by logic. And again, I really invite people to think, just be, Open to being curious. I think the minute you stop being curious and, you know, this, I talked to my boys about having a growth mindset. It's like, I can't do that. I'm like, you can't do that yet. Right. You're working on that. It's a practice, but there is one thing that's inevitable. Change is going to happen. That is inevitable. So you could either You know, approach it like a five year old having a tantrum and screaming and kicking, or you can approach it with curiosity and some deep breaths and, like, you know, just lean into it a little bit and lean into it slowly. But when you're no longer curious and your mindset is so fixed, then I feel that's when it becomes, yeah, life is challenging, your health is challenging, and without any energy, literally impossible to do anything, you know, to make any kind of lasting, sustainable change to your health. So I recommend to people like, be more aware of yourself. There's no doctor has more knowledge about your body than you. It's literally impossible, right? And so finding a practitioner that's willing to just meet you halfway and say, okay, we're going to take baby steps together and we're going to get you a little bit more support. We're going to give you a little bit of breathing space. So you could just like, you know, sometimes I just want to take a breath. Like, (gasps) I just want to take a breath. I just want to rest. Okay. Now I'm ready to start walking. Right. But you're trying to run a marathon on empty. It's going to be very challenging and overwhelming and probably not very successful.
0: What a wonderful way to wrap up the conversation. Thanks again for squeezing in some more wisdom there. It's just really impressive. You have so many helpful things and ways of thinking. I love all your metaphors, all the visuals. Like It's just been so fantastic. And I appreciate all the work that you do. For the listener, if you would like the link, to her website, if you would like to go back and read more words of wisdom and also see her radiant self. That's the first thing that I said when we, we got onto the recording platform. I was like, wow, you just beam joy and beauty and just like a magnetism about you visually and through your voice and your words. It's just very easy to appreciate who you are as a human being. So for anyone else who wants to take it in through the written word, through the visual, as well as this audio, everything is there for you at WellEvator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. I almost stumbled over my own website. In the podcast section, you can find the full transcript, the links to her website as well as the video, which will be up there eventually. I'm working on getting all those files uploaded to YouTube for those that like the visual experience as I do. And thanks again for being here with me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Had such a wonderful time talking with you.